Coming up next on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. We have a brand new show, The Next Gen Waterfronts, hosted by Dan Martin. His first guest, Rick Hitchcock, Senior Principal and President of the Hitchcock Design Group. Going to be an outstanding show. The Next Gen Waterfronts brought to you by Dune Doctors of Pensacola, Florida, Dune Restoration Specialists. Find them at www.dunedoctors.com. Good morning. This is uh, Dan Martin, and I have with me today uh, an old friend, uh, Rick Hitchcock. Uh, Rick is the president of the Hitchcock Design Group, and it is uh, based in the Chicago area, but has great offices with whom I've had the pleasure of working in Indianapolis and in Austin, Texas. Um, And uh, Rick, do you want to take it from there as to how you came to be on the show? Well, sure. Uh, Thanks, Dan. A pleasure to, uh, to be on the show with you. Hitchcock Design Group has, is a firm of uh, planners and landscape architects, and we have been helping our clients create better places to live, work, and play for almost 39 years. It's been a fantastic journey. We, we work in the uh, public sector, we work with institutional clients, and we work with private sector clients as well, so we cover a pretty wide variety of markets. Great. Um, let's uh, let's uh, touch on a few points here too, because uh, I've I've enjoyed working with your group on a number of uh, uh, riverfront projects and a couple of Great Lakes uh, lakefront projects as well for communities. Um, tell me tell me if you if you don't mind why why do you think shorelines are are so interesting? Whether they're on rivers, whether they're on lakes, or whether they're on the ocean. Oh, I've been fascinated with riverfronts in particular, waterfronts in general, but riverfronts in particular for pretty much all of my professional career. Um, there's just some, there's magic about water, and uh, to be sure, man has worked hard to manipulate it to his benefit for, well, for hundreds of years. And uh, we just are fascinated in particular by how communities can benefit from uh, reinvesting in their waterfronts, particularly their urban waterfronts. Now, when you mean urban waterfronts, you mean areas where there are downtowns or residential areas or right. both? Right. Uh, uh, downtowns in particular. Um, when you when you we've we had a conversation earlier about uh, about rivers and ocean or lakefronts and how they're how they're different. Um, do you want to elaborate on that? Well, I mean, there's sort of what's different about you know, like a riverfront versus a, a lakefront or yeah. an oceanfront. I guess the the you know, the obvious thing is that uh, uh, lakefronts and oceanfronts uh, are, from a pedestrian standpoint, are essentially one-sided attractions. Uh, we can only we can only observe, uh, you know, say a, a lakefront or a beach. Uh, we can only observe the water from one dimension. It's hard to walk around unless it's a very tiny little lake. Um, it's hard to walk around to the other side to get uh, that same kind of perspective. Whereas riverfronts, and Lord knows there's probably thousands of them um, going through many, many, many countless downtowns 
across the country. Uh, riverfronts are really fascinating because you can, uh, if there's bridges involved, you can get over to the other side and get a different perspective. And, and, and they create a natural corridor, although I think you could argue beaches certainly do that as well, but riverfronts in particular create a natural corridor that for years was used for water transportation and then of course over time gave way to rail transportation and auto transportation and you know a relatively recent phenomenon is to replace uh, some of those modes with uh, trail systems and there's wonderful wonderful networks of uh, riverfront trails all across the country. And, and rivers also, I, I think, are kind of have a kind of a mystery to them because they're always, uh, as you said, they're always moving away from you. They're always there's always where are they going? What are they doing? But one of the things that I think is important to our listeners is, as a, as the American uh, Shoreline Podcast Network (ASPN), one of the things that's interesting to them is that a lot of ocean fronts actually have rivers coming into them. So there's a sure. point at which the river beats the the ocean or the water, or a, in the case of us in the uh, in up here in the upper Midwest reaches the Great Lakes. Um, what, what about that sort of that sort of intersection from one kind of a riverfront, I guess, to a an oceanfront or a lakefront? Is, is there an opportunity there? Oh gosh, yeah, I would say so simply because you take two um, kind of fascinating bodies of water and when they come together, you know, you, you get a twofer. It's a chance to uh, uh, observe uh, uh, well, it's something that really doesn't occur all that frequently, and so um, depending on the location, I mean, take the, where the Chicago River intersects Lake Michigan, of course, is extremely uh, manipulated by man over time. It's very much engineered, uh, but nonetheless, it's a, it's a really uh, exciting intersection. Um, Whereas you take something that's, you know, considerably more naturalized, and you probably have a, a wide sort of a, a delta that is not uh, uh, quite as walkable or as interesting from an urban point of view, but certainly is a is a fascinating natural feature in its own right. And and the the, the character of the wave action, I guess, on the water side is 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 one thing. Whereas on the rivers, um, I, I would guess you can you can push a lot of recreation on both sides, both on the rivers. Is is that why we're getting more interested in rivers and, and ocean fronts in some ways because we can play on them. I think so. You know, again, you think back to. Uh, all the riverfronts that are in, in older downtowns in particular, uh, they were there, well actually in many cases the, the towns were formed, were settled on the river. Uh, river was a source of transportation, it was a source of food, it was a source of water, and well it was also the sewer system unfortunately. Um, and, and so it, it served a multitude of functions and over time uh, man has been prone to trying to manipulate all of those things to his benefit and and often got some things wrong but the but the reality is is that uh, the riverfront is kind of a great uh, uh, triple play or triple bottom line kind of, a, of an asset because you get uh, wonderful environmental characteristics and, and there's many, many ways that that's played out. You get some great cultural things related to the history of uh, certainly of the river and the settlement along the river and uh, you get the economy. 
and again in the past it might have been the economy might have been focused on um, you know a milling operation or something like that or on fishing uh, the fact of the matter is now that that is of course given way to uh, recreational boating it's given way to uh, the pathways that we talked about and it's given way to uh, river walks that are all over the country which are really kind of like a um, an embellished uh, water-centric town square. It's a place where all manner of things can be uh, um, um, aggregated uh, to create a, a great package, as you would say, of attractions. And uh, the reality is, is that uh, uh, those kinds of things you could argue maybe could happen anywhere, but they happen along, you know, many communities concentrate them along riverfronts for a very specific reason and it's because the water is a great organizing element and it's got that magic that you referenced right at the beginning of the of the discussion which is that uh, you know it's it's uh, um, Gosh, it's it's been in our it's been in our consciousness for for you know since the dawn of mankind. It's kind of uh, it's a it's a fundamental element. It's 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 biblical. It's uh, um, uh, it's uh, life giving. It's uh, incredibly important, uh, uh, just as in, in terms of its fundamental daily use. So you know, water's just a it, it's a it's a great feature. It's pretty. It's uh, um, it's soothing when it's when, in rivers. It's it's uh, it's flowing. Like you said, you gosh, where does it come from? Where is it headed to? What kind of stories could it tell if it could talk? Uh, it's just. There's just a lot to like about the moving water. Well, and and, and you you told me once a while ago too that nobody shuts off the water at the end of the day, and that's kind of <laughs> cool about rivers that uh, that is. when the tourists go home, the river's still running, and, yep. and that's true. That's true for ocean fronts and river fronts as well. That the water just keeps on coming, so it's this wonderful sort of enduring thing. One of the downsides of that, though, when working in rivers, and and I think we're discovering this increasingly in oceans, as we have uh, problems with water quality in oceans. Um, one one of the things that that, that I, I've come to realize with rivers is that when river when the river gets to your town, um, it's used water. Um, something yeah. is in it that might not have been in it ten miles upstream or twenty miles upstream. So it's not like we're it's not like we're turning on tap water and running that twenty seven, assuming the tap water is clean. Uh, and and you know in a sense we're getting other people's problems in the river, and that might be one of the reasons why it's only in recent history that we've come to think of rivers as good. But that's also an issue we face on oceans, particularly you know next week I was planning on going with my family down to Florida, and we discovered that the place we were going going uh has a uh, red tide problems oh, wow. uh, and uh, and it was a, a very narrow island so you can't get away from the atmospherics of the red tide uh and uh, one of my kids has uh, has asthma so that's uh, an issue to contend with when when you think about designing a waterfront plan or a riverfront plan um uh, how do you how do you think about the water quality where does where does water quality come into play does it influence what you recommend people how people interact with the water or how close they get to the water um tell me tell me about what what water quality right. has to do with it it's a great question because as as we were discussing uh, uh for years uh, 
rivers and and well and, and other uh, bodies of inland bodies of water have been used for drinking water, but sadly they've also been used as the sewer system, and so they get commingled. And in the case of rivers, the farther downstream you get, the the more you get problems that were created upstream. Fortunately. Uh, uh, across the country, uh, sanitary sewer systems have been uh, decoupled from stormwater systems, uh, although not everywhere. Um, but rivers are gradually uh, improving in water quality, which is just incredibly important. And hey, for, for some of our listeners who may not know what you, the importance of what you just said, so you, you said that storm sewer systems have been decoupled from, if, if, elaborate on what's going on there. That's yeah. an interesting point. Yeah. Uh, well, gosh, uh, in the... Uh, in, in early settlement uh, um, times, uh, and you get into the, say, the uh, 1800s, 1900s, uh, you get uh, communities that were uh, starting to uh, build their infrastructure, and it was just, it was, frankly, it was economical, and I'm not sure folks really knew a lot better, but it was, uh, the common practice was to combine uh, sanitary sewer uh system with the stormwater system and so when it rains and and the streets and the the, the curbs uh, capture the rain runoff and it gets into the storm sewer system it creeps it creates uh, big spikes in water volumes and velocities and this would commingle with um, sanitary sewer and very often it would overwhelm the system and so you end up dumping all kinds of effluent um, in the river. Un- untreated effluent. Uh, untreated effluent, yeah, thank you for that, for that important point. Um, in the river and of course creating all kinds of toxic problems downstream. Um, Again, over the course of probably the last 50 years or so, um, many, many uh, communities across the country and certainly in the metropolitan areas have been working very diligently to separate their storm sewer from their sanitary sewer system and that has greatly increased uh, water quality. And now, uh, with increasing attention on riverfronts, which is partly why I think I like them so much, is that it's not like you're running away from problems, you're confronting the problems, and there's still issues with uh, sediment runoff and contamination from farm fields and from over-fertilizing and all of that. And so phosphorus is an issue, and, and that's, that kind of issue, for instance, is being addressed up and down the uh, the Fox River in uh, in our vicinity. Yeah, and, and that's, that's actually the the whole idea of um, of putting things uh, when we take water out of the river, what do we put in it before we put back, um, and uh, and the idea of runoff from surrounding lands into rivers that applies to coastal areas too. Now, coastal areas often have, um, and I guess I guess inland areas also have a lot of wetlands. And 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 do you mind describing how you view wetlands as far as as, as uh, contributors to water quality or just as interesting places to go check out? No, absolutely. Uh, part of part of uh, river corridors, and particularly if you take, I've referenced the Fox River earlier simply because it's uh, it runs through many counties. It's a very very long river in Illinois, and lots of urbanized areas along the Fox River. And uh, of course, in the downtown, you tend to get harder edges. 
you get uh, more impervious surfaces, you get just simply a more urban environment, but as you move away from the downtown, you create or you have the opportunity to, to recreate more naturalized environments, the wetlands specifically that you referenced, which are incredibly important because not only do they serve as a source of uh, great habitat, but uh, they are great sponges. They're, they're terrific filters and help to uh, keep the water clean as it moves downstream, particularly after uh, flooding events. And, and one of the things that, that we've seen uh, along a lot of uh, waterways, whether it's the oceanfront or whether it's, uh, whether it's along rivers or lakes, is, is we've filled in. Uh, historically, a lot of oh, a lot yeah. of marshes, and uh, in in fact, uh, when we talk about draining the swamp as a as a positive or a negative in D.C., we used to call wetland swamps. We used to regard them derisively, uh, almost as if they were no-go zones. Uh, now we have a totally different view of them, and I, I think it's because we're sort of viewing them as the filters yep. uh, for all the nefarious things that we add to water. Well, again, we're, we're uh, thankfully we're a little smarter and. Uh, legions of scientists and, and planners and designers and engineers have come together uh, to, uh, to promote uh, wetland preservation and enhancement and uh, younger generations of, of, of citizens have embraced that idea and so environmental quality is part of their thinking, it's part of their vernacular, it's part of their understanding. So uh, the, the good news is is that you know I think bringing people to the river again has helped to showcase not only the assets or the, the, the attributes but it showcased some of the shortcomings as well and it creates uh, uh, kind of an impetus to, to keep uh, working on improving um, uh, improving the, uh, everything that we do in the communities along the river. Now, now this podcast is also about development, and, 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 and I would ask you, if you found, if you were brought in to develop a riverfront plan for a downtown or a lakefront plan or a waterfront plan on mm-hmm. the ocean, um, how how would you how would you approach that? What would what what are the questions you would ask? Who would you speak with when you're doing a plan like that? Oh gosh, yeah. Well, to be sure, uh, at the end of the day, it's all about the uh, uh, what the community wants and and how that intersects with what opportunities might exist, both physically and from a as you very well know from a market standpoint. Um, you, you can't create things that won't be market supported otherwise they have no economic uh, vitality uh, but we we always do a very thorough examination uh, of sort of three realms and and see where they are most closely aligned we do look at the market and it's something that your firm has helped us with many times uh, we look at what it'll support both from a recreational and a tourism standpoint but also from a, a commercial standpoint and residential standpoint as well we uh, as you suggested we certainly talk uh, a great deal to uh, community leaders everybody from 
uh, uh, politicians and elected officials to appointed uh, officials and public safety officials and folks involved in recreation and, and uh, development and lending and you know sort of the butcher baker and candlestick maker we make sure we cover everybody let me let me, let me yeah. stop you for a second on recreation yeah. and, and come back to the list you're going through but when, when you mentioned recreation um, do, do you find recreation agencies um, open to and a lot of recreation agencies are basically built around uh, schedules of team sports and some of them many of them actually have begun to endorse and develop trail systems but a lot of them um, look on water differently they look on water uh, I found Parks and Recreation Department as something that is to be controlled in a pool or, <laughs> or a water park or a spray pad or something right. like that they're not quite sure about this idea of encouraging their own people to get in the water now I think we feel differently about ocean fronts for some reason we think the beaches scrub everything clean so the water must be perfect and we also don't drink ocean water the way we do river water mm-hmm. um, but what, what about recreation in the water um, there's an increasing uh, we see in our practice there's an increasing interest in um, not just getting to the wa- to rivers to the waterfront but an increasing interest in getting into the water um, paddling sports as, as you have reminded us is one of the one of the faster growing activities uh, in the United States I mean walking and running still continue to be a very big cycling is very big um, but but getting in the water or getting at least getting to it fishing in the water uh, paddling in the water um, uh, kayaking uh, have all become uh, really very popular we're seeing uh, even in little tiny riverfront communities um, we're seeing increased interest in, in in paddling sports which is really exciting now you and I have a have a mutual friend who I hope to bring on this podcast at some point, uh, who who specializes in creating um, uh, kayaking uh, uh, areas. You know, pulling out low head dams and right. putting in. Um, do, do you want to? I know you've done that uh, in in a number of your plans. Uh, do you want to describe what's going on there? Yeah, the mutual friend that you're referencing, of course, is Scott Shipley from S2O uh, Design and Engineering. Scott's a former Olympian, uh, an Olympic kayaker, who has uh, taken his passion for that sport uh, and, and and blended it with his uh, hydraulic engineering expertise to travel around the world, really advising communities on how to remove very dangerous uh, weirs and low-head dams that impede um, habitat, impede uh, navigation, uh, create all kinds of uh, environmental problems and flooding issues, how to uh, remove those and replace them with a more naturalized um, uh, whitewater type attractions that are fun to look at, fun to be around, and as you said earlier, fun to be part of, to, to actually experience uh, uh, in the river, in the stream. So uh, we see that as being an increasingly uh, uh, interesting piece of our business because it's it has sort of it, we've we've moved beyond simply getting to the edge, walking along the edge, uh, dangling a fishing pole uh, over the edge. But now there seems to to be a much more heightened interest in. Uh, and actually being in the water 
and and things that used to be frankly um, just a nuisance to in, in the design and complicating everything namely the dams suddenly have the potential to become features now I, I had I had distracted you off your flow there when you were talking about recreation and all the other different players um, do, do you want to go back to that notion of, of how do you how do you actually do a riverfront plan Who's involved in, and what's the stage? Well, again, it's it's a after an examination of uh, what the market will bear um, and support, and what uh, what the community is interested in. Uh, what we really focus in on then next, of course, is that what are the physical resources that we have to work with? What are the characteristics of the river? Uh, what are its uh, flooding characteristics like? Uh, the flows. Uh, and then everything from topography and soils and infrastructure, um, development patterns, um, all of that comes into play. So we we get an opportunity to figure out how can we create um, uh, components or, or features along the riverfront that uh, that really help to enhance. Uh, and bring new energy to downtowns. Do, do you see people in some communities more eager to embrace their water than other places? Um, you know, for a lot of people, they probably drive over a bridge all the time, or they drive near it and they don't see it. How, how do you how do you get people to notice something that's always been in their field of vision, but <laughs> sort of recedes because it doesn't matter to them? Yeah, I th- I think that's a great question because we've we've worked in in a lot of riverfront towns and we see varying degrees of that very that exact characteristic we find a lot of folks either find the water to be either a nuisance or it's simply part of their everyday life and so it doesn't seem to be particularly interesting and then they see what has happened in other communities and then you know whether it's a Nina Wisconsin or a Waukesha Wisconsin or Naperville Illinois other communities uh, some up and down the Fox uh, like uh, Batavia and, and uh, St. Charles to a degree um, Geneva to a degree uh, and Elgin in particular has invested a lot along the riverfront they see what riverfront investment has done for the downtown again the river as an organizing element as an as a primary attraction that will consistently draw people simply because rather than just looking out over the body of water now the water is part of a package of other things that are of interest, whether it's shopping or dining or uh, uh, craft beer or, or, or in, in, you know, even workplaces and uh, and uh, great opportunity for residential development along the You know, because I think it lies at the basis of so much of, of what you do, um, talk a little bit about what an organizing element is and the value of it and, you know, how, how, what are you organizing? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a fair question. Uh, the, I, I think what we're getting at there is that it's, it's, the, it's the foundation that you build off of. If you, uh, 
if you if you look at a just say you look at a town square in a in a very traditional kind of a small small community downtown anywhere USA um, you know maybe you have a, a courthouse that might have been there or you have some other kind of public structure you have a street pattern that's there uh, maybe there's a rectangular or, or square space that's left over and you know that's that's what you have to work with that's what you're organizing in the case of riverfronts and and again I you look at any community that that has one um, the fact that they are uh, untamed and you know refuse to be tamed, uh, even though we've tried, uh, they have meanders and different views and uh, different characteristics, and you have to respect that. And that becomes that becomes the baseline around which you can organize the features. If they're whether they're as simple as uh, a pathway or they're as elaborate as uh, a sculpture park or uh, some commercial feature uh, or a bridge across the river. It's all based on the characteristics uh, of the, the land, the water volumes, the uh, velocities. Um, that's, that's, that's what we're organizing around. And the, and the water is the, is the feature. It's the star of the show. It's right in the middle of all that. So, so in, a, in a sense, you know, back, if you go back 100 years or more in American history, we used to think of um, the town square as the important place. We'd put our civic buildings around it. So it almost didn't matter what the local nature or natural landscape was like it was we were coming in with our square maybe putting a courthouse a town hall or something on it and 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 what we seem to be doing from what i've seen of of your work is we seem to be rediscovering our riverfronts lakefronts and oceans and saying let's move our symbolic headquarters if you will for this population to where the action is as opposed to in the action in 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 2018 2019 is going to be in uh, is going to be along the water is good because yeah. because we can do recreation along the water recreation has become a paramount activity in american lives in a way it sure wasn't you know 100 years ago yeah. well again you think about uh, you think about the history of most urban riverfronts is that they they evolved they were settled along the river they were trading posts they were transportation uh, or maybe it was a way to get logs downstream so that they could be uh, shipped to market or milled um, and, you, and so you had you've always had the river kind of at the center of things and then as we moved away from that because rivers were you know either dangerous or a nuisance they were flooding they were unpredictable we didn't have the need for the, the transportation or the power anymore as we moved away from that it kind of left a void that was the perfect um, setup to come back in and reinvest along the rivers because in many cases you have really fantastic old stone or brick buildings that were constructed that can be repurposed and have a huge amount of character. Um, You have uh, areas that because they're flood prone they can't be built on any longer and so they create uh, a ready-made opportunity for open space that again you can organize new development around those spaces and so um, I, th- I think it's it's really very natural how it became kind of the you know kind of a newfangled town square. I mean, clearly in a community where the river is not uh, 
uh, nearby or, or there's no river at all, no uh, shoreline, no lakefront. I mean, you, you simply don't have that opportunity, so you have to work with something else. Well, you, you, you mentioned uh, uh, in a lot of cases uh, old buildings and stuff, too, along rivers. That's that's often true in a lot of, um, of oceanfront communities, too, at least ones that go back, uh, you know, 50 or 100 years in that, in that they are often um, – they often have warehouses and trading spaces. Right. Uh, that that you know the original we talk about uh, uh, about uh, uh, today the development of so many of these giant boxes outside of cities where uh, right. Amazon and others basically move lots of things in inventory in and out quickly. Um, that's what happened. In, yeah. in, in our old ports our old ports were were these great old buildings and uh, uh, and, and and I would guess that in some cases these great old buildings um, don't have value um, and have been abandoned but in some cases they still do do have value Absolutely. and and it's a it's it's a bit of a wrestling match to figure out wait this is real industry this is jobs this is business yeah. how do we how do we do we relocate do we what do we do or do we just let these people be how do you how do you reach a decision like that when you find um an industrial or other box in the middle of it it's yeah. like having a bank in the middle of a row of stores yeah i think you can i think a great uh, a great precedent center setter for uh, that kind of repurposing you look at granville island in vancouver and it's um it's this phenomenal intersection of tourism and working waterfront where ready-mix plants and and shipping operations coexist with uh, farm markets and waterfront features uh, I, th- I think that's I honestly I think that's the wave of the future it that's a you know when it's sort of trendy in in, uh, in urban planning and design to talk about uh, uh, mixed-use development, which is simply to say you take a variety of different land uses and you have them coexist in the same place because they often have some some important synergies as opposed to the uh, drive-to single-purpose zoning that you find in suburban locations. You put that kind of synergy with different kinds of land uses happening all in the same place and you put it on water, you end up with a lot of magic and maybe that's just the little boy in me coming out which is to say it's fun to watch commerce in action but it gives it gives a lot of vitality to a place and it and it, frankly it kind of it moves it away from simply being um, you know yet another uh, tourist kind of attraction where you go and get some ice cream and walk around and and that's about the extent of the the, the fun you can have well and and, and you know just uh, thinking about a lot of waterfronts too um, uh, we have um, a, a marina and usually a restaurant or two and and people like to walk along and look at the boats um, in right. a lot of cases um, but but when you're talking about industry and when you're talking about well, I guess industry and, and commerce you're talking about a different scale of boats too I, I know I've been in some ports and I've seen some giant ships come in and oh, leave yeah. and things like that and um, and when you say it brings out the little kid in you I mean it it, it does me it's it's like it's like a train or something it's sort of like exactly. watching a giant into Great Lakes clip, uh, you know, shipper or something like that, uh, or, or you know, I, I grew up um, near the waterfront in Boston, and we would see giant boats come in, and it seemed like they would move inexorably slow 
across the field of vision and 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 they look so big and massive and so interesting yeah. and you'd wonder well where had they come from had they come from shanghai had they come from you know where were they coming from where were they going to so it was almost like a a dream catcher to see these giant vessels do do do, do things moving you know, like uh, do um do, do boats in general i mean i i mentioned the idea of of, of a marina as something with a restaurant next to it in a lot of cases if you have a lot of kayakers a lot of uh, people playing in the water or going down uh, uh, some rapids in kayaks uh, or, or similar does that also have that same sort of you know i've got to stop and watch kind of a resting feel to it you know for humans or not yeah, absolutely absolutely I, I think again and when you talk to scott he'll bring this out uh, scott shipley uh, he mentions in in his presentations often that for every person who's in the water there's seven to ten people on the shore watching and you know not everyone is able to to get in the water or maybe has the uh interest or the capacity to do that but watching other people do that is certainly great sport i mean we're uh, we're recording this broadcast sitting in chicago looking at the chicago river out the window and the reality is is that uh, you know th- th- there's legions of people lined up along the chicago river walk uh, simply watching the the uh, kayakers and the tour boats and the uh, the occasional uh, uh, um, um, privately owned vessel come in and uh, you know it's 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 a it's theater honestly it's just watching watching other people I mean that's always been the great attraction of of uh, of, uh, of downtowns and communities is people watching other people do their thing but you know sometimes I'll, I'll find myself doing just that walk going along a, a riverfront or a lakefront walk or something and I'll see something moving in the water and it'll arrest my attention and it'll be like I've never seen a kayaker before it's like <laughs> it, it, right. it, it's like I'm seeing a flotilla of ducks or something you know it's it just a so things in the water uh, are actually yeah. something that, that can be made can be made into a theater um, one one a few minutes ago you you dropped uh, for uh, for waterfront projects uh, you dropped the uh, the f bomb and that would be uh, the word flood uh, and, and and you know one of the things that that I, I, it strikes me about rivers is rivers have always had flooding problems um, right. because and, and perhaps we're going to have more of them uh, with climate change uh, with uh, with uh, un, unexpected raindrops um, you know a little bit upstream we'll sure feel it downstream in a, in just a matter of time. Um, it, it, most most of the climate change models explain that explain to us that uh, uh, that that you know something like 185, and I'm probably going to get that number wrong, of of all coastal towns on the east coast are going to have regular and consistent flooding mm-hmm. in the years to come, and uh, for all the reasons that uh, that climate scientists understand well. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say it's an old friend, but it certainly is an old foe for a lot of riverfront uh, uh, people to have to deal with flooding. Is there is is there any? Do you have any thoughts on flooding or how to address flooding in coastal communities um, that you've seen play out in a lot of river communities um, that uh, uh, that we should we should you know think about or yeah. talk about because it seems like there's a knowledge transfer. The riverfront people have been there. A good question. Well, I mean, first of all, I don't pretend, uh, as a landscape architect, I don't pretend to be an expert in climate change or in coastal uh, hydraulics. However, I will say 
that I think there are some lessons that are transferable, and it really starts with respect. To be sure, uh, again, the the uh, population as it uh, as it evolves this country has become increasingly respectful about the environment um, we've had a few bumps and bruises along the way but generally speaking there's a there's a much greater appreciation for uh, that our, our natural resources and assets are, are are not limitless that they are limited and we need to nurture them and so I think if we respect waterfronts and understand the science um, behind how they behave, whether it's on a, in a coastal setting or on a river setting. I think if we respect that, uh, and frankly, it's an incredibly regulated environment anymore, uh, which, is, which is putting standards into place to help uh, maybe enforce that respect, if you will. I think the more that we do that, I think the I think the better off we'll certainly be. So I would say it's kind of a, it's a respect coupled with learning how to manage uh, what you have to work with versus trying to control it. I, I don't think you want to try to control it because we've <laughs> we've lost that game many many times in the past, and it's a very expensive proposition when you lose. There's countless stories across the country of, of valuable property being destroyed in floods, regardless of what you would attribute the, you know, the cause, whether it's climate change or whether it's some other phenomena or development. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that for years and years and years, we've built way too much, way too close to the river. And uh, now as we give rivers the respect that they deserve and we learn how to manage um, the asset, uh, the natural asset, and our and our physical infrastructure and and built environment. Um, I think we can we can have our cake and eat it too. We can take advantage of the natural features, and we can um, we can continue to um, improve and, and invest in in our communities in really meaningful ways. Well, you you, you I'm, I'm quoting you here on something you said once, and that is that you can't simply armor. And channelize. You, yeah. you you can't just do that. You've really got to, and I think you said this when you said respect the movement of the water and understand where it wants to go and 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 work with it um, to to create you know places and spaces that yeah. that that are that that are between us and them. Yeah, to be sure. And again, we're talking. Our focus has been for years in urban environments, and so sort of by definition, you get channelized environments, and they often have to be. Uh, fortified in some fashion simply because there is so much infrastructure and so much uh, uh, development and investment immediately adjacent that it's kind of impractical to, uh, to, to expect that you're somehow going to take that back to real natural condition. Again, and in, and in very small doses when you do that kind of thing, if on either side of that, upstream and downstream, if you can, um, if you can get some restoration, um, you know, uh, uh, put in place so that it helps to mitigate some of the problems that have been created elsewhere. That seems like a pretty reasonable trade-off. Well, and, and and I think you also have to think about uh, or recognize that you're in a uh, an environment where actions by one community 
um, can often impact uh, other communities' uh, experience. That and and by that I mean there's there are some places situations where um, where uh, Great Lakes in Lake Michigan, which is a massive body of water, uh, there are communities where they've put in um, large uh, jetties or other uh, mm-hmm. changes to the to the way the man, land meets the water, um, and, uh, and and it's changed some of the the shoreline currents such that it actually scours out areas um, nearby uh, and uh, and changes the character for others uh, because you know water isn't just a single unmoving body there's lots that happen within it that we don't discern by the eye um, that can do things to other people it's a little more controlled in a river setting but but when working in the Great Lakes I know that's something we've discovered that if you're just a few miles away from a town if you do something to your shoreline you can really impact somebody else's shoreline. I don't know how we deal with that, though. Yeah, I mean, the good news is, again, I think um, the, 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 the country, and certainly this Great Lakes region in particular, has made some big strides. There are many more regional agencies that are cooperating because they recognize that there's uh, so, you know, the really complex problems need regional solutions. It, it, as you said, you can't just have one town cleaning up its uh, uh, water supply when the towns upstream are, are contaminating it as fast as someone else is cleaning it up. You can't make any headway that way. But uh, in terms of water quality and, and flood protection, there are many regional, excuse me, regional entities uh, at work, in, including some state and federal entities, that are really creating a much, um, are taking a much bigger perspective on uh, the issues that you that you brought up. That, that one one action by one community can create an inadvertent and unintended consequence someplace else. I I blew past something you said a few minutes ago that I think is kind of important because you do a lot of this, and that is, is how do you discern and respect the town's desire for their own development destiny you know what if there isn't a consensus how how do you respond to it because i, I know in some cases you've you've worked on waterfronts and in, in communities that um that you see and objectively from the outside anyone would see uh some great potential for but it, it, it's it's not something that necessarily communities even realize that they have that potential. They don't necessarily recognize the future that could happen there. Um, and 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 it's the sort of a, a difference between asking them what they think ought to happen and and actually trying to show them what can happen. Yeah. And then you know if you go to a certain point, you become an advocate for change. How do you? How do you? You know, I guess two questions. One is 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 how do you introduce people to their own asset, and and after you introduce people to their own asset or their own assets potential, um, uh, how how far how far are you willing to go, or how far mm-hmm. should communities leadership be willing to try to take their communities? Well, this is a classic conversation that is certainly not unique to. Uh, riverfronts or waterfronts or coastal shorelines. That's just how communities, some succeed and some get by and some fail, frankly. Uh, It's a combination of having natural resources that, um, that have potential 
and then having leadership that has both vision and some measure of stamina or determination because uh, often the change changes are um, time-consuming, uh, the investments can be fairly significant, and you really have to have consensus uh, I mean, not unanimous, but you sure have. To, you've got to have a lot of people all rowing in the same direction, in order to um, uh, to make big investments. Really, in in any setting, whether you know whether it's on rivers or not. But, so I would say part of what we do is we help, as you very well know, because you participate in this with us, is we help to showcase um, uh, comparable communities, comparable sizes, comparable circumstances, and often in every one of those communities that is viewed as successful, there's some kind of trigger, there's some kind of catalyst, namely a leadership change or an event, a circumstance, a uh, uh, some infrastructure that's changing, uh, a development opportunity, or some kind of crisis. Um, in my hometown, uh, to be sure, I, I've and I've said this for years, and I believe it with my heart, is that the the success of the Naperville Riverwalk was in part due to the fact that it was it was a coincidence of timing. It was in it was on paper it was all about celebrating the community's 150th birthday but the reality was is that there was a really significant recession setting in place in the in the 80s in the early in 1980 and um, it was the perfect time to get people's attention and to get busy, successful leaders to rally around a common cause, which was to invest in the community so that it could be better than it, than it was before the investment. And so I guess the point that you're getting at is that partly, yes, it's, it's helping to um, expose the pot, the local population to what the potential is by showing comparisons, but it's also about trying to illustrate um, a very real path to success that can be that if followed, often incrementally and systematically, can lead to really spectacular outcomes. Uh, but boy, you, you got to have leaders who are are ready to uh, put that front and center and, and push that agenda. And oftentimes, people, for whatever reason, you know, leaders get uh, uh, fatigued by pushing an agenda item that doesn't seem to have any um, traction or has less than they would hope that it would, or there simply isn't. You know, there's sort of no clear and present danger to put it in military terms. If, if they're not being threatened, and we have mutual clients who are fit this description, if, if, if everything's okay and they're not being threatened, then their interest in trying to make something better to meet the potential is simply less pronounced. Whereas other communities who are maybe a little bit down on their luck, who have had some things go wrong, um, they see the clear and present danger and they see waterfront investment 
as a as a real opportunity to create some distinction and create improvement for the community. And and if you find um, that the community is is moving toward embracing development, um, and, and I know one of your techniques is to is to use case studies of other communities that have already successfully done that. Um, um, how how do communities find the financing or the developers to do this because in a lot of cases you know we have development the development industry today is is replicating similar projects across the landscape so they're all about replication of you know the 25th Hampton Inn or the yeah. or the 15th um, you know uh, industrial use of a certain type um, they're, they're not so much focused on the the very sort of uh, attention demanding development uh, of doing something in a small town, How, what 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 devices have you seen your your communities use to to uh, to finance projects and 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 attract developers? Sure. To be sure, uh, a great deal of uh, of riverfront development that we've done has been uh, grant funded, although there there's fewer and fewer uh, resources out there for uh, large scale projects these days there's there's still project there's still grant funding for environmental improvements and uh, and connectivity mobility projects uh, uh, non-motorized vehicular uh, uh, bike paths in plain English um, so there's there's a there's a bit of that uh, but where we see the biggest potential and you touched on it in part is from associated development. So if you have an opportunity to create, <coughs> if you have an opportunity to create um, some incremental tax base as a result of bringing new um, uh, commercial and residential development online, that incremental uh, revenue from uh, presumably from property taxes can be channeled. Uh, to help pay for the infrastructure cost. I mean, sometimes that's in the form of a TIF district, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, and TIF is tax increment financing. Yes, yes. Thanks for the that prompt. Uh, so there's, we think that that's a that's a huge opportunity because you can take areas that have maybe had or seen less investment and and, it, and as a result of. Uh, increasing investment that helps to pay for some of the infrastructure and we've seen that in many many of our client communities and then one that is absolutely not to be overlooked is the power of philanthropy because when people get involved when they invest their their funds their personal or their corporate funds in something then they've got skin in the game they've got some passion they're really paying attention. They're really engaged. And there is nothing like that. We saw that in Naperville where it mesmerized the community during a time of, uh, of uh, some, some difficult economic times in 1980. Um, we see that in other communities that um, have rallied around their waterfronts and um, people have contributed uh, legacy gifts we've seen in other communities that we follow around the country where uh, foundations have uh, put together tens of millions of dollars which seems impossible in some cases 
from corporate and individual philanthropy to reinvest along the river and it's because of all the things that can come out of it it's again it's that sort of triple bottom line of environmental uh, economic and uh, cultural uh, sustainability and people see investors uh, philanthropic investors see that kind of potential and that has been well documented in just countless uh, riverfront towns is is there we're, we're coming to it toward the end here and, and I was going to say are there some um, are there some thoughts that you want to share on um, on on riverfront and waterfront development and you know the benefits it can bring to a community and also the things to watch out for because sometimes yeah. uh, things go go awry Oh, great question, Dan, and I could carry on about this all day. So uh, I, I guess the I guess the parting thought would be this, and, and, and we've been maybe saying this over and over to where we're wearing some people out, but it goes back to what we started the conversation with. Um, as time wears on, leaders come and go, business trends come and go, retail comes and goes, industry comes and goes. The fact of the matter is, unless there's something cataclysmic that happens, the good news is is that the waterfronts are here to stay. Um, Without getting into global warming and how that may impact coastal communities, uh, again, the fact of the matter is, is that the waterfronts are here to stay. And so what we tell our clients, especially our riverfront clients, is that no one's taken the water away from you. It's always there. Let's figure out how to make that the centerpiece of our community's brand so that people want to come to the community, they want to be near the water, they want to be in the water in all of its forms, Uh, they want to shop, they want to uh, dine, they want to work, they want to live, and what better place to do it than around an active waterfront where there's a a phenomenal uh, package of uh, interesting activities to do, Um, and it's a uh, and it's a, it's a, you know, we don't have mountains in the Midwest. Uh, we do have a spectacular, uh, majestic lakefront just a couple of blocks from where we're sitting. But other than that, you know, what we've got is, for the most part, a lot of riverfronts, and in some cases, really very small and, you know, very modest settings. But those can be, instead of nuisances or, um, places for commerce as they've been in the past. They can be sort of newfangled places or places for industry in the past. They can be newfangled places for commerce and and living and socializing uh, in in the future. Well, actually, actually, that that we were talking earlier about the commerce that you know big ships coming in and out of uh, ports, um, you know whether inland ports or along the coastlines. Um, there is there is kind of a new commerce that we're talking about here with with riverfronts and uh, uh, and and just waterfronts in general. The commerce, I mean, it's something that I, I spend a lot of time uh, working in. But uh, do do you have a closing perspective on uh, on on what a new riverfront or waterfront can do commercially for a community as well as for the you mentioned the identity of a community? Yeah, we've looking at other communities around the country you know 
you and I are both familiar with the Greenville, South Carolina example. It's a it's a great story because um, the, the there was the the neighborhood that uh, the river cuts through was completely transformed completely transformed the brand of that town and we saw that same kind of thing happen in my hometown of Naperville um, we saw we saw the community basically get rebranded around the river uh, I'm convinced I mean we've seen in uh, in uh, Nina Wisconsin where we've where we've done work in Waukesha Wisconsin we've seen those communities really get energized by investment in the waterfront and so I would simply say to the listeners that um, there's uh, you know the, the magic that you may instinctively think exists along the waterfront is absolutely there in in a multitude of ways and with uh, respect and some creativity and vision and determination uh, Boy, wonderful things can happen. That's that's great. Thanks, thanks very much, Rick. I, I've been speaking. This is Dan Martin. I have been speaking with Rick Hitchcock. Rick has a, a, a firm that's been around for how many years? Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine years, almost 40th anniversary. Uh, Hitchcock Design Group, uh, with offices in the Chicago area, in Chicago and Naperville, and uh, and in Indianapolis uh, and uh, in Austin, Texas, as well. Uh, thank you very much, Rick. Um, it's been uh, great talking to you.